Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Two-time NCAA champion and three-time NCAA All-American Chris Pendleton is headed to Oregon State as the new head coach. Just before Chris heads out to Oregon, I wanted to chat with him briefly about his journey in wrestling that's led to this position and really talk about what's next and what's waiting for him out there. So I hope you enjoy this episode of the podcast. If you haven't subscribed yet to the show, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you enjoy this episode, leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts if that's where you listen or if you have an iPhone. All right, let's roll the intro and talk to Chris a bit. It's Bashomania! Let me tell you something, brother. He gave us everything he had in him tonight. What you gonna do when Bashamania runs wild? Oh, it's gonna be a good one. And business just picked up here on the podcast. Oh, yeah. How are you, Chris? Doing real good. Doing real good. I want to talk about a lot of these recent events. There's so much going on with NCAA's canceled, Olympics canceled. You took a new job. So I want to talk about some recent events. Um, Before we do that, I I want to talk a little bit just about your journey to 2020, really, because, you know, I started following wrestling religiously as your career happened to be winding down. As I was thinking about it this morning, you know, I was a terrible, terrible wrestler in high school. Didn't do anything with it after high school. Then Kel Sanderson became one of my first clients when I opened my agency in 2008. And then I started paying more and more attention. And then Varner became a client. And then Jordan Burroughs became a client. So like once all these guys were clients, I got into the mix as, as much as you can. So, you know, I know there's there's other people like me, too, who you had such an incredible career. Before we talk about some of these recent events, I, I want to kind of lay the foundation with everything that you've done. So tell me a little bit about your start in wrestling. Like, are you talking like my start start? Yeah, your like, start start. Oh, little so I was actually, I'm, a, I'm a little bit of the um, uh, the outlier where I started really actually really started wrestling in uh, eighth grade. I think I went in like in fifth grade and did like a practice and said, nope, I'm <laughs> out. Uh, at that point, I had, um, <clears throat> I had grown up in Hawaii and moved to California um, and – I, for whatever reason, I thought I was going to be in the NBA. I thought I was going to be an NFL <laughs> player. But my freshman year of high school, I weighed 90 pounds. So wow. I started wrestling in eighth grade, um, was kind of in and out of the lineup my freshman year at 103, then wrestled 112, was in and out of the lineup, lost to a guy named Gilbert Sanchez. I always like to give him a shout out because uh, every time I go home <laughs> to Lamore, he, he reminds me that he beat me off the team. And so um, <laughs> then um, it was going into my junior year, I went to a wrestling camp at uh, Oklahoma State. And I met my future uh, college coach, John Smith. Remember, this is pre-flow, pre-internet, social media, where, you know, you just hear these names, but you don't ever know what they look like, who they are. You know, I'd seen, like, you know, John had shoes and this and that. So I knew he was a big deal, and we went there. And it was actually crazy that 
there was a California guy named Mark Munoz that was on the team. And I went to John after one of the sessions and just asked him, hey, can you help me with, with more with the low single? And remember, I'm not any good. Like, I'm not a big-time recruit or anything, so I wasn't getting any special attention. He kind of showed me and then had Mark Munoz grab me, take me to the side, and work for, for another half an hour. And so one of the lessons that John said, you know, he did these, like, talk, uh, camp talks was he uh, challenged me to do an hour a day away from the team, an hour a day away from the team on my own to really elevate my career. And I actually, for whatever reason, it really resonated with me, and especially if you walk into Gallagher and you see the banners and this, the Olympics, uh, Olympians and NCAA champions, everything that's all around, it kind of like started motivating me and inspiring me. At that point, I was uh, a 2.0 student, and that's being generous. Like I was mm -hmm. right on the bubble. And I didn't really have really high uh, aspirations in life. And so I came back. And I remember I just basically did kind of like half an hour a day doing stance and motion in the backyard, running. Um, you know, couldn't really do a lot of film review back then because um, <clears throat> this is a head coach's voice. I don't have uh, COVID. <laughs> I've just been talking a lot. So, um, so I jumped from basically not being a, a starter on my team to I took fourth place in the state uh, my junior year. And that was at 130. And that really just like lit something in me where I was like, I started figuring out the extra work actually correlated to the results. Um, I started making around like a 3.0 and everything. And um, I really just said, okay, I bought into it. I started doing an hour a day. I started kind of being a little bit, getting that crazy uh, mindset of just going and doing, doing extra and extra. So my senior year, I went into the state tournament. I didn't have one recruiting offer from anyone, not even Oklahoma State. Um, and I knew I was getting better. I actually knew it. And we went to this, uh, Reno tournament of champions and there I pinned the number two, three, and four guys in the nation. Wow. And by the time I got back to my hotel room, you know, I had offers from everywhere and it was really funny because I knew Oklahoma state was at the tournament. I had saw John walking around kind of doing some recruiting and he never came and talked to me even after I like pinned all these guys. And then he, uh, just randomly walked by him in the lobby and he like slapped me on the shoulder. He's like, so you still want to be a cowboy? And I was like, yeah. And he walked <laughs> off and I was like, I ended up uh, signing with uh, Oklahoma state in the spring. And, um, that kind of launched me into, uh, my college career, um, where I got to be a three time all American and two time NCAA champion. I got pulled out of red shirt my freshman year, uh, got hurt or, um, and, but more importantly, um, I got to meet some of my lifelong best friends and got to, um, you know, be on four NCAA title teams. Um, and it's really crazy when you look at it right now, everybody that was in that era is, uh, we have 10 division one head coaches now, uh, out of that group of guys, we have group chats. We are extremely close. We vacation together. Um, that is more than anything, probably is as I've gotten older, has meant the world to me. Literally, totally. those guys helped me get the Oregon State job. And it's funny because, you know, I just had Mark Hall on a couple episodes ago, and his career early on is like the opposite of yours. Here, this kid was in seven state championships, won six yeah. state championships. Prodigy, yeah, it, and it's, it's wild because one of the questions I asked him was, how have you not burned out being in seven? I thought it was six. It was actually seven state championship finals, then three NCAA um, championship finals. 
And it's funny because I was thinking about it just before I called you that you got to be in a smaller group of people that won more NCAA championships than state championships. You get a lot of these guys who it's kind of the reverse. Like Mark, Mark, you know what I mean? Like, and I'm like, man, that's got to be a small group of guys. And I'm curious, you know, similar to how I positioned it with Mark, but the opposite approach really do you think that since you started later that helped you with your success throughout college and even after college um burnout is actually a very real thing i think that one because um now that mark's not a student athlete i can talk about him and um i know his i know his mom and dad uh they're extremely good people that put the right values in mark and i don't think they always made it about winning yeah. I don't. I, I. I. Just being around his dad. No, I um, haven't. He I, said that. Yeah. I'd be shocked if they ever, if his dad ever yelled at him for losing. Yeah. And I think that that's one of the things that um, um, Penn State is doing extremely well is they're placing the priorities in life on the important things, not just winning. So yeah. I think that's one of the reasons why you have guys like Mark and them that just really look like they have a love for the sport and that they can keep going at that high level. Um, so as far as like uh, me, I mean, I, that's where I would say I'm a little bit more of the, the oddity. Um, you don't really have people that have the success that I've had that have only been wrestling short term. I mean, but there are, there are out there. So, yeah. I mean, it's kind of finding that balance. And, and then, you did have such college success. I mean, two-time NCAA champion. You beat Ben Askren, I think, for both those NCAA championships, right? And he went on and won a Hodge. What, what, when you have that level of success and you have such a hunger and, and everything else, what was the transition like from athlete to coach? It was really hard because I, I it was uh, one of the my my biggest regrets in my um, my freestyle and coaching career was I didn't listen to John. I just got a little bit stubborn. Where um, in 2006, Pat Smith had uh, been let go at Oklahoma State, so there was kind of a void for my weight class in that coaching um, uh, coaching role. Where. John always told me to be selfish and focus on my international career. And yeah. it just wasn't – it was one of those things I always just had my foot half in the pond and I wouldn't really just jump two feet into the freestyle career. And I'm not really sure why I didn't just go full go. Um, just I don't, I don't know. I mean it was almost a little bit of a burnout on myself for, sure. for college. And you even look at like Jake Rochal, Johnny Hendricks, um, a lot of our really good wrestlers in that era didn't really – pursue college of johnny thompson um so it it was one of those sales where i didn't listen and i hopped into coaching way too soon because coaching one of the things one of the first lessons that john told me was the athletes will never give to you what you give to them and that's not a bad thing because an athlete's job is to be selfish and a coach's job is to be unselfish and to give and give and give and athletes can take 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 and when you're trying to balance your competitive career and your coaching career, it gets a little bit murky where there'd be times like I'd be having a tournament coming up and I'm sitting there drilling and working my areas and all of a sudden I just notice somebody over there is struggling. So then I'm like, okay, hold on. Let me go over to help fix this. And then I come back and then somebody else asks me a question. I'm helping there. Where then I'm 60% of my workout is me and 40% of it is the other athletes. So that's where I, I, I really I really wish I could have had a redo button on that and, um, and, and kind of just focus 
just strictly on my uh, freestyle career. And it takes a lot of self-awareness. Like I know that when when Cal and I became friends, when he became a client, he had said, you know, kind of similarly, which is like, I got to be all in. I, I don't want to serve two masters. I can't coach and yep. I can't compete at the same time. And for me right now, I have the ideal coaching position. And I know Burroughs told me kind of the opposite. He was trying to coach for a little bit in Nebraska. And he's like, I can't. I can't give these teammates of mine everything I have when I'm trying to give everything I have to the Olympic dream. And and by the way, the, the dorm is still apparently open, according to Oregon State, which I give them a lot of credit. They already have your bio up on their website. But it says you're still competing on the freestyle scene. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to I'm have to change that one. I, I mean, I'm uh, fully retired. So <laughs> They must think the no, door is open. There, I, get, I, get this, I, get, I get an itch every once in a while. Like I really wish I could just do one more match. Because I got hurt on my last match, and it just always put a, put a sour taste in my mouth. And um, one of the things I do is um, I got it from a friend. He told me every year, like, to give yourself a fitness goal once, you know, once I was done uh, competing. Um, that was a couple years ago. I, I, uh, my, my uncle Matt had passed, and uh, me and he was a big uh, weightlifter, so I had, uh, set a goal to lift 400 pounds, bench press 400 pounds one time. And um, so I spent the year doing that, you know, liked how I looked and all that. But um, <laughs> last year I decided to – I wanted to weigh under 200 pounds again. And I hadn't weighed under 200 pounds since 2008, 2009. So literally, I told, and I told everybody that I was doing this. Yeah. And yeah. it was one of those deals like I got, I mean, it was New Year's Eve. And I was three pounds over. And I was coming <laughs> into that, that afternoon practice. And I was all sucked down, hurting. I'm putting on my sweats and sweatshirt. And everybody was <laughs> laughing. Cause they, cause the heat and them knew I was cutting weight. Yeah. And somebody yeah. told and he was like, uh, uh, he said something about, made a joke to me about cutting weight. And I was so cranky and tired. I was like, I can always lose weight. You can't get taller. <laughs> but it was like, once I got under two pounds, I'm like, so they're looking at, I was like, yeah, man, I, maybe, I, maybe I will give it another go. And then I went at 20 minute grind matches. And he was like, nah, I'm good. I, 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 I'm retired. All set with that. And so now that you are, you know, coaching full time, I'm curious, a couple different angles on that. One is being a part of three NCAA championship teams. What did you take away from that from a standpoint of what you're now able to use that from as a coach? Um, it's a good question. Um, one of the things is I took, I, I, I've honestly taken a lot of the lessons from my coaches on those times. I mean, those teams, we had everything. Uh, I remember the, you know, fine tuning the high level athletes, um, building the psych, um, dealing with injury, you know, um, Jake yep. Rocha tore his ACL, PCL and, uh, MCL on like February, like mid February against, uh, John Trent and Lehigh and literally went into the NCAA tournament without barely wrestling and won an NCAA title. And then on the flip side, you had, a, you had a young, two young studs in Coleman Scott and Nathan Morgan. I think Coleman lost like his first like four matches, three or four matches, but he had like Nick Simmons, Sam Hayes, Winkle, Kyle Hopp. <laughs> I mean, and so, I mean, just listening to how the coaches um, helped those guys, and I was um, fortunate that I was like the team captain so I got to like get to John kind of like told me like things like to say to guys and like, Hey, this is push this guy. Don't get back off this guy. So it was a lot of those lessons that, um, uh, that 
that has helped me in my coaching career now. Um, and it's funny because like, I know I, I, I feel like I'm stealing uh, a lot of knowledge. <laughs> all the time. I'm like saying, hey, man, Pat Smith told me this. Hey, Mark Branch told me that. Yeah. Hey, say this. You know, this year, um, this year alone, I, I, I remember we had that book, Cowboy Up. Um, that was written about uh, that final year, that 2005, when we had five NCAA champions. And uh, we had a couple guys that, were, that had taken some bad losses. And it was funny because I sat down and reread that book, just hearing the messages that were taught. And I was like, oh, yeah. And so I actually would, like, send that book, like, little links to the book out to guys. Like, hey, read this. So yeah. you're, you're, not, you're not rewriting history, buddy. Everybody, everything that basically could be done in NCAA has yep. basically been done. I was like, all you're doing is you're rediscovering. And so I always tell people all the time, like, if you're going to climb Mount Everest, you're not just going to show up there and just start walking. Right. You're going to ask questions. You're going to find somebody that's done it and then figure out how they did it. Yep. And I'm curious for one more kind of athlete-coach crossover. You know, I've learned the importance over the last decade of managing expectations, both personally and then professionally running a company. I'm curious how you've managed your own expectations, <coughs> both as an athlete and, and as a coach. You know, it's interesting because some guys, it sounds like you're going to be the opposite of this. Some guys have such insane success through high school. They walk into college and say, I'm going to be an undefeated four-time national champ. That's my goal. That's my expectation, whatever. But with you getting starter started later and having success later, how did you manage your expectations? And then how did you carry that over into when you started coaching? So when I when I came in when I came in, I did have <clears throat> I did have those expectations. I and I, I because I got the right values instilled in me yep. that it didn't matter. Like I, I, I remember I walked into the Oklahoma State room, I was number five or six on the depth chart. And I remember looking at the depth chart being like, all right, I got to start knocking some of these guys off. Yeah. And it was one of those things like where it wasn't – that was one of the things that like when you go to a program like Oklahoma State, you go in that room, you are held to a higher standard right out sure. the gate. And if you're one of those people that aren't living that lifestyle and aren't having those high ex ex uh, expectations, um, you're probably not going to last. Then that's just, the, that's just the honest truth to it. And when I started – when I started coaching at Oklahoma State, it was already you had all these like high expectations. And the biggest thing is when I went to Wyoming, is where you're not having these five star recruits coming in, and you know a guy like Mark Hall, where you're just like yeah. you know working on these little small things. And not to not to dismiss Mark, but he's yeah. uh, talking about him being a prodigy. Yeah. Um, where I had guys that I had a guy Alfonso Hernandez, a one time state champion from Blackfoot, Idaho ended up being a two or three time NCA all American. How do I develop those guys? How do I get them to shift their thinking from the way they think now to the way I used to think as an athlete? How do I motivate, inspire, and just get them to flip the switch? And it really was helpful on just my development part of it. Yeah. That like the biggest key to to uh, for my coaching career was going to Wyoming and seeing the other side of it. And then when I got to go to ASU, it was like I could really take both sides of it because I had yep. both athletes in there and you know and, and then now what I've learned from ASU I get to apply at Oregon State where now I know that cultures you know, your culture is your most important thing that yep. you can have it's kind of a hot topic word so I think it gets lost into it yeah. but 
culture was already established at, uh, at Oklahoma State. By the time I got to Wyoming, Branch had already established a culture there. Um, so now at Oregon State, it's my turn to be able to to establish the culture and make these kids understand what I really value and yeah. you know, serve them well in life, not just on the mat. Sure. And, you know, you did you, – you were at Wyoming. You spent some time in Arizona State. And I heard you tell a story yesterday about um, considering a job at Missouri last year. So I'm curious that, you know – Transitioning now to, to Oregon State, how long has this been in the works with you wanting to take the head coach position? I know you see a lot of moves and you forget that as a coach, like all of a sudden Perry goes to Arizona State and everybody loses their minds because he's a Hawkeye in their minds, right? And it's like, yeah. but if, wait, if he wants this, like, and, and I think people get lost in like people that are assistant coaches, associate coaches, they want to be head coaches. Like, how long has this been a goal of yours to take over a program as the head coach? Well, I had I had a couple I had a couple offers um, previously for head coaching positions. Um, you know, it's it's one of those deals where sometimes things don't actually get put out in public, and sometimes there's just a lot of mis misinformation and misconception going out there. Um, I did uh, almost take the Missouri uh, job last year, uh, last summer. Uh, sat down with Brian Smith, and I mean, I'm telling you, get him on your podcast and just have him start talking about Tiger style. You will instantly be drawn to him, and <laughs> because you just hear the passion and sure. conviction. For a lot of there's a lot of salesmen in college athletics. Sure. There's a lot of salesmen. Yeah, but there's rare people when you hear them talk that you're actually you you believe that they believe. Yep. And Brian Smith is one of those guys. And it actually was one of the things that like inspired me, but also made me take a step back because I was looking at Brian, like this is a finished product. Like his, his tiger style, he believes in it. I want to know where I could implement it, how I fit it into it, how I could change it. And at the end of the day, that's selfish of me to say, let me come in and help change something because it's already set. So that's where I kind of started saying, this is what I want this is what I'm, I need. This is what I'm lacking, but I can't go here yet. So I went back to, um, to Tempe and I uh, had met with uh, Zeke and uh, the administration and um, told him that this would be my last year. I felt uh, uh, obligation and, um, you know, I love the senior, that senior group. It's probably one of the senior groups I've been, I don't know if I've ever been closer with because sure. – literally we've been all over the world together we had spent so much time together and had them over at my house for for meals and um it's a lot of that so i know we had sacrificed a lot redshirting people the year before so part of me also felt really guilty about thinking about taking another job so you know it's, i said i can i can do it one more year i can i can come back um finish off these guys and then let's see what happens um i it was actually kind of really really amazing is uh god's plan is you know november in november december i was starting to kind of panic like what jobs are going to be opening up sure. i know i don't really want to take another assistant job i don't even know what head coaching jobs are going to offer i know i'm not going to be back at asu um and this is like the, the honest truth is oregon state was always a job that i coveted because I knew, I knew the uh, potential. I knew all the benefits. I love the area. I mean, it's, it's I 45 minutes away from the Williamette Valley. How can you not love I, the area? <laughs> I, knew, I knew I looked good in orange and black. So <laughs> I, was, I was really wanting, but I didn't know if that was going to happen. So sure. it was one of the, I actually had job interviews outside of wrestling lined up really? um, after the NCAA tournament. Wow. 
you know, it's a hard place to, to leave. It's a, yeah. a, a, a Tempe and the, the valley. It's, it's beautiful out here. But I, I just knew that my life was going to go in a different direction one way or the other. So then after Pac-12s, um, uh, the job opening um, um, got announced. And then um, I was like, oh, man, that would be awesome. And it was like an hour later, I would just pulled up my email and I had an email from Oregon State. And I, we, we exchanged phone calls. I was supposed to meet with them at the NCAA tournament, go out to breakfast and sit down and you know, obviously with the COVID situation and then um, just how life goes. Uh, I wake up one morning and I'm the head coach at Oregon State University. So it's uh, it's been a very crazy time. And, and talk to me a little bit about, you know, you were you were with Zeke a long time. And it, forgive me if I'm wrong here. Wasn't he a national team coach back when you were competing freestyle, too? Yeah. Yeah. No, he was uh, he was a national team coach. He was a. Uh, uh, most of the majority of my career was KJ. Uh, Zeke was kind of like the tail end of my career. And, you know, he was the one that implemented the uh, RTC models and um, kind of, you know, the national team coach, you know, you, you only, you only see your athletes for, you know, a couple months out of the year. So you're, you're kind of the guy that is managing, um, setting the training plans uh, as far as like the, the competition schedule and all that. So I didn't have like a ton of interaction with Zeke. Uh, we had gone overseas a couple times, but um, it was one of those deals that I knew ASU was a, uh, was a sleeping giant. And, you know, the real strength of ASU is the administration and the, the support from uh, uh, alumni and donors like Art Matori and Sunkiss. So I knew just with those two things, I mean, I was like ASU can, can be really good. And where does that, now when you got to leave a guy like Zeke, who you've had a long relationship with, and even a guy like Zahid, who you said, like, it's funny because my coach, Bill Jackato in high school, did kind of the similar thing on the high school level. Once the, the class that were freshmen were graduating, he was going to be done. He wanted to see those seniors graduate, and then that that, that was it for him for, for good. He was much older than you, obviously, but... You know, where does this leave your relationship with Zeke and, and Zahid and, and anybody else you might be close with at ASU? Um, yeah, I've uh, I've talked to uh, all the athletes and everything, and they 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 they've been just so supportive and everything. And you know, I'm uh, I don't foresee anybody uh, coming with me. Um, you know, it, it is one of those deals where I did put six years of my life helping build something up. And you know, just because I left, that it doesn't mean that they they have to leave. Uh, sure. You know, that's their decision and whatever they decide. Um, you know. I don't really want to comment too much more on that. Sure. And then our Zeke, you know, he's still he's still the head coach at Arizona State. I'm the head coach at uh, Oregon State. So, you know, we're really going to work on revitalizing wrestling in the West, uh, making it exciting. Uh, last thing that he told me was, uh, I'm going to find out how good of a coach I am without him, and I'm excited about that. Yeah, I would be too. I mean, your your athletes, you can see. I, I listened to a couple interviews before we we got on here, and. I listened to you after NCAA's last year talk about Zahid and how he was one of the hardest workers you had ever seen. You've seen him train harder um, than anybody else and train harder in life. And you can tell the, the relationships you have. Does that kind of inspire you to create something like that of your own at Oregon State? No, not, really? not at all. No. Um, my focus is going to be on uh, culture and character. 
Um, that's my, that's my priority. Um, Zahid came to ASU, uh, uh, finished product. His dad is one of the best high school coaches yeah. in the world, in the world. And there's no arguing that between both the brothers, Pico, um, Kate Levis. I mean, he puts out amazing kids. And so, um, what I'm focusing on is just the culture. Okay. You can get the best kid in the world. If your culture isn't there, you, that kid's going to suffer. So that's my priority right now. And luckily with the COVID situation is that's what I can focus on. I'm focusing on the health and uh, wellness of the athletes and I'm focused on the development of the culture and they're understanding it. And they're the, I think they say attitude is a reflection of leadership, yep. right? So when you see problems in a program, you know, you can look at football, basketball, wherever you see problems in the program, Look toward the leadership and look towards how your attitude is toward those problems. So I'm right now making sure that the my guys at Oregon State understand where my priorities are, what I value, and what I'm going to really develop, and that is a culture. And there's some things that I've I've been just extremely excited about. Um, the team is just really buying in. Um, all of our grade reports, everything, the life skills meetings, they're, they're looking great. So I've been really excited because I think they're understanding what I'm, what I really believe in. So, yeah. And, and I think the question came out wrong because in my head, I was thinking one thing and then asking something kind of different because <laughs> as I'm thinking in my head, what, what I meant really was, you, you were a part of a program like Arizona State where a guy like Zahid trained so hard. And much like you didn't really want to go to Missouri because it, it was set. They had built that program. They had built that culture. And and that's what I was thinking for Oregon State. And, and it doesn't really matter how I a- asked the question because you answered it exactly what I was thinking. You know, and it's funny because making this transition now more than ever – you have a lot of time to think, right? From every little thing. Zeke tells you, we're going to see how good of a coach you are without me. You have, you're moving, but you can't really move yet, right? You're still in Arizona. Like there's, <laughs> and with this whole COVID-19 outbreak, like how has everything that's happening changed your perspective and how you're going about this transition? Um, it's made me slow down. It really has made me slow down. I, 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 I... The last couple of years, like it's my my instinct is like when something happens, like to jump, like react. Uh, you know, kid comes in the transport, boom, going. It's really making me evaluate what I want in my program, who I want. Yeah. You know, uh, it's been kind of one of those things that are is driving me nuts. Is I have taken my time with the assistant coaches. I have taken my time. Because I'm really doing the background checks. I'm calling every other coach that they've worked with. I'm talking about what are their strengths, what are their weaknesses, what do they value, who, who are they as men. And so it's nice because it is forcing me to go slow. But like you said, I've been part of winning programs my entire career. So I want to hit the ground running. I want to go. I want to put the, yeah. put the grass pedal down. But I can't. I literally can't right now. So. And does that give you like, it's funny when I was, I forgot who was just on the other day. I can't remember if it was on the podcast or not, but was having a conversation along the lines of, man, everybody's getting so hungry right now because we're in such a period of downtime where it's like, man, we, when was the last time where a sport like wrestling, who was such a tough group of athletes in every sport, but wrestlers especially are so tough. I feel like the hunger is even going to get 
bigger and bigger over this next year leading up to the 2021 trials now. Like everybody's going to be so much hungrier and rested, right? How does that impact you from a coaching standpoint knowing that you you have this time to really slow down, develop and, and develop like the theology behind what you want to create with the culture. Like you you can't even jump right into the room and start kind of doing that culture. You have yep. to take the, all this extra time and do it slowly. How do you think that's going to impact what you do there? That's a really tough question. I mean, it is. Everybody is hungry. I mean, yeah. I, I I miss like drilling. I if the room was open tomorrow, I'd go in and get a forty five minute drill and just uh, spar and uh, play wrestle around. I, I know if they <laughs> if they had an open tournament next week and they said it was clear. It probably figure into the tournament. Everybody is hungry, yep. but you know, one of the things that we are stressing to everybody is we're all in this together. I mean, I, I would love to go in there and get a lift in and burn off some of this energy, but we got to go slow. As far as the, the rest of your question, that's a really tough question, and it's something that I, I started thinking about a lot. But I actually got really good advice that you can't boil the ocean. There's things that I can't control. I can't control you know, what the Big Ten and the uh, East Coast teams and all those guys are doing, I can control 35 athletes and what my program is doing. And so that's where I'm really focusing my uh, my attention. It's something that served me well in my career um, that uh, um, Pat Smith gave me a lesson, control what you can control. You literally can't control the referee. You can't control your opponent. You can control your attitude and your effort. You can control the scale. So that's where I'm taking that that attitude into that bigger picture where yeah. I'm just going to control what I can control because, you know, even like talking to some people earlier today, they're asking me questions about scheduling and this and that. And I'm like, I don't know. And <laughs> it's the worst, this is the worst answer that a coach can give people yeah. is admitting you don't know because no one knows what the world's going to look like in two days. Yeah. Let alone two hours. Bono was so, just saying the same thing. Like every, he's sitting at home trying to work on stuff, and you're you're doing something one day that's negated the next because all of a sudden yeah. something changes. Something stays closed for two more weeks, another month. Like it's, mm-hmm. I hate the word unprecedented at this point, but it is. Everything's freaking unprecedented. Yes. So I'm controlling what I can control and keeping a positive attitude and um, working. Just just keep you know, just got to keep working and being grateful for the opportunities that we have. And, and one of the last things here before I kind of get ready to let you go, you know, what do you think out of everything, all these opportunities you have, becoming the head coach, getting ready to build a program, getting ready to instill a culture, what do you think you're most excited about? Meeting the athletes. Yeah. Seriously. Like just building that relationship with them. Every every kid I've had like a Zoom meeting or a FaceTime meeting with, I mean, they the energy that they're giving me just gets me going, and I, I just can't wait to give back to them. I really can't wait to just get to know them better, have them over at the house, and just in in really <clears throat> being a part of their journey. Um, I uh, that is what I just can't wait for. Um, you know, it's always just nice, mm-hmm. like just getting the grab somebody and helping them develop yeah. and that really what I'm like missing more than anything all the other stuff that I'm doing is just boring <laughs> but it's important but it's I have to tell people like all that like this isn't what I want to do like yeah I go in there and I want to like be able to break down some stuff and yeah. do all that but then now the flip side of that then I'd be a hypocrite because at the end of the day your wrestling life is not 
that long, it's not going to shape the rest of your life. So we're prioritizing the right things right now. And it also gives me, you know, it's the silver lining is this has made, this has really opened everybody's eyes athletically to everything can be taken like that from you. And right now everything's taken from everybody uh, as far as athletically. Um, We do have to have like a sense of gratitude for what we do. You know, I, I've, I've said it a couple times to some people is, you know, wrestling isn't your, just your springboard to a higher education. You can work at Starbucks yeah. and still go to school. You can do a lot of other things and still have a good life. This is just a cherry on top, which is why we should have that gratitude. And I think that, you know, as people have gotten an NCA has been really skyrocketing toward this where everybody's me, 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 give me, give me, give me, give me. Well, now we can't wrestle. Now is it really that important? Yeah. Is, is a shoe contract that important? Is your name likeness and image that important when we can't even go step on the mat right now? Yeah. So it has made me, uh, I think not just me, has made everybody sit back and say, I just miss wrestling. Yeah. I want to go out there. I just want to wrestle. And I can't do it right now. So that is a silver lining of it that is making you know the, the important stuff come back to the, the forefront. And when you talk about the Oregon State room specifically and the Oregon State campus, you're no stranger to Oregon State. Uh, off and on, I've been going to uh, Corvallis since 1999. So Oklahoma State, we used to wrestle Oregon and Oregon State, even at Wyoming, home and homes, yeah. ASU was in our conference. So um, I had always been there, but yeah. it was. I, I will admit, I will admit, uh, um, after I got the job, you know, we started looking for houses and everything. And then I was like, all right, want to just fly out there real quick? So I just hopped on a flight, <laughs> went out there, saw some neighborhoods, yeah. saw what I could see. Um, you know, it was one of those deals where, like, when I went to it with the town, I was like, man, because Arizona's people are following the COVID, but it wasn't like, like people were really following the yeah. COVID. When I landed in Portland, I was like, it looked like a, an apocalypse town. I was like, this is actually kind of creepy. So, yeah, I can imagine. Uh, yeah, but then, uh, yeah, next week, move up there. Uh, got oh, a, so you got, got a house now? You're ready to go? Yeah, just a temporary rental. Um, why just take my time? I mean, that's that's yeah. the name of the game right now. We all have a lot of free time on our hands. So yeah. I'm going to find I'm gonna find somewhere that I like and, and put my roots down. Look, at, you might as well get a couple extra bedrooms because being a wine guy, the Williamette Valley right there, I'm going to be making a few trips out there to kind of hang I, out. And I had no idea. Really? I had, I had no idea. And then I found out, like, you know, the Newport Beach is 45 minutes away. And then you have the Willamette Valley. And so, like, then I was like, like, that's all the cherry on top. I was like, <laughs> yeah. all right. So anybody that loves Pinot's come out yeah. and visit. Apparently, it's one of the best areas in the world. Oh, it's amazing. It's amazing. I'm a big Cali and Oregon Pinot drinker. So, William and Valley Pinots are. I just ordered one yesterday, Big Table Farm. But, all right, sweet, man. Well, listen, thank you for, for taking some time. Anything else you got for me before I let you go here? No, no, that's it. Thanks for having me on. Awesome, man. I'm sure you'll be coming back on soon and, and giving more updates on the program and everything you're up to. Yeah, for sure. And that is it for today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. If you did enjoy this episode of the podcast, be sure to leave a five-star rating review on Apple Podcasts and be sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on more episodes. For more wrestling content, be sure to follow Bash Mania on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And follow me. I'm at jbash on Instagram and at justinjbash on Twitter. I'll be back with another episode shortly. See ya. And the beat goes on.